I want to just jump straight into the teaching this morning, and I want to start off with a few quotes. The first one says this, some of the greatest battles will be fought within the silent chambers of your own soul. This was said by Ezra Taft Benson, who was a religious leader and a government official in the 1950s. And then Jesse Owens. Anyone remember Jesse Owens? He was an American track and field athlete and four-time gold medalist. He said this, the battles that count aren't the ones for gold medals. The struggles within yourself, the invisible, inevitable battles inside all of us, that's where it's at. And then the Dalai Lama says this, a spiritual practice is a constant battle within, replacing previous negative conditioning or habituation with new positive conditioning. And then lastly, um, an author and psychologist, Sheldon Kopp, says all of the truly important battles are waged within the self. Now here we have quotes from people of different religion, people that have served in government, people that have been in athletics, and it doesn't matter what part of life you're from, they, they all recognize the same thing, and it's this, is that the mind is a battlefield. How many of you can say that the mind is a battlefield? That you recognize that the mind is a battlefield that, that impacts so much of our life, okay? So what's crazy is that even science now is backing this up. It's not just a saying that we have that the mind is a battlefield, but science is backing this up. Neuroscience, which is the study of, of our nervous system and of our brain, um, it shows that the way that we think can literally rewire our brain. It rewires our brain, and it's something called neuroplasticity. So neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to reorganize itself by forming new neural connections. Now, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but basically what it's saying is that these connections, they strengthen over time as, as we condition ourselves that way. So that means that when you create a habit of thinking a certain way, if you're, if you're thinking negatively, it makes it easier and easier over time to go that route. And the same is true for positive thinking. The, the more that you fill your mind with good things and you're thinking positive, the easier it is for your mind to go that direction the next time. And so... You can never really say, well, I only thought this. It's not that big of a deal. Guys, that's why it's a big deal when you see that pretty lady walk by and you begin to fantasize and entertain things in your mind. It's because you're rewiring your brain. And then you wonder why you have a problem objectifying women. And then you wonder why that it seems to follow you into the church and you just can't see um, women as sisters in Christ. And then you see it following into your marriage and, and you wonder why you treat your wife a certain way. Because it's rewire, re rewiring your brain. It, it, and it's a sin thing. The, the Bible says that sin affects all parts of our life. And so our brain, our body, everything's been affected by the, by the sin in, in this earth. And so it's rewiring our brain. That's why it's a big deal when you allow hatred and bitterness to consume your heart and consume your mind. Jesus said that, that if you hate someone, it's, it's the same as murder. You, you never have to do it, but you're, you're thinking about it, you're dwelling on it, and you allow this hatred to consume you. Have you, have you ever had that song that you just can't get out of your head? That's why it's important that the media that you're filling your mind with 
is, is something that's going to be um, encouraging you. Because the, the lyrics that we consume through music or through entertainment, it affects our thinking. It affects us. And I think that it affects us way more than we ever imagined. Because we just think, well, it's, it's, it's thoughts in the mind. It's, it's not like I'm acting on something, right? But it, it's a big deal. And, and the thing is, is that what goes on in here, what goes on in here can affect our mood. It can affect our emotions, our functionality, how we process our thoughts. It affects our memory, our health, how we perceive things, how we relate to people, how we act. And then even how we perform physically. Like, think about it. It's crazy that our mind can affect how we perform physically. Just to give you a, um, an example of this, I remember in high school, for a couple years, I picked up golfing. Now, if you've ever golfed, you know that golfing is an incredibly mental game. Jack Nicholas, the famous golfer, said that golf is 80% mental, 10% ability, and 10% luck. And I figured this out as soon as I picked it up. So I had a buddy, one of my best friends growing up, he lived on a golf course. And so for a couple summers, I got a membership and I went golfing with him. And I always hated the first hole. Because on the very first hole, on the left-hand side of the fairway, there was this row of houses. And the first couple times I hit the ball, I, I, I think I hit one of the houses. Or there were several times where I would hit the house. And so I was always so paranoid that I'm going to hit these houses on, on this on the left side of the fairway on this first hole. And then to make things worse, since it's the first hole, it's right in front of the country club, so everyone that's checking in and then they're starting to golf, you have a little bit of a crowd there that's waiting for you to hit your first ball so that they can go on onto the course afterwards. So you have a little bit of a crowd. And then on top of it, my friend's house was on that strip of houses. So he would always say to me, you better not hit my house. So all of it's kind of adding up, and I'm afraid that I'm going to hit somebody that's out on their back porch grilling and kill them or I'm going to knock out a window like my mind is just going crazy so here's what I did if you imagine me lined up right right like this the hole is straight ahead it was the easiest hole in the world just a, a hundred 120 yards straight shot okay so I'm lined up the houses are on the left side of the fairway and this is what I would do I would line up like this so now I'm like at a 45 degree angle from where the hole, the hole's almost behind me. And my thought process was, just in case I hook the ball, it'll hook back onto the fairway instead of hooking over towards the houses. But almost every time, do you know what happened? I would still hit it towards the houses because I couldn't win the, the, the battle of the mind. And you see that golf is simple. You just have to trust the process. You just make sure that your grip is right, that, that you follow through on your swing, that you line up right with the hole. But I couldn't win the battle here, and so I couldn't win the battle out there. And everything went downhill from there. And in case you're wondering, no, I never killed anybody, thank God. <laughs> but some of you need to apply this to your anxiety. Some of you need to apply this to your fear, to your insecurities, to your stress, because sometimes there's nothing out here to stress about, but we find a reason in here to stress about it. You ever been there? Sometimes there's nothing out here to be anxious about, but we find a reason in here to be anxious about it. Most of the time, there's nothing out here to complain about, but we always find a reason to complain about it. 
And when you lose this battle, you lose the rest of the battle. And here's where I want to go with this this afternoon. We all recognize that the mind is a battlefield. So if our mind is a battlefield, then the thoughts that we fill our mind with are either equipping our enemy for victory or they're equipping you for victory. Get that. If the mind is a battlefield, then the thoughts that you're filling your mind with, they're either equipping your enemy for victory or they're equipping you for victory. Now at this point, some of you may be thinking, so what is this? Is this like a, a self-help talk where you just, you just have to think positive and, and try to imagine you know, the, the cup half full and everything's gonna be okay in life? No, this isn't a self-help talk because the Bible actually has a lot to say about your thought life. The Bible has a lot to say about your thought life. And there's so many different directions that I could go with this, but here's what I specifically wanna talk about. It's about how the things that we fill our mind with affect our joy and contentment in life. How many of you would say that you could use more joy in your life? How many of you could say that you could use more contentment in your life? Whether you find yourself there or not, I think we've all been there or will be there. So the title of of my teaching this afternoon, it's Elevated Thinking. Elevated Thinking. And I wanna show you what the Bible says about this. So if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, we're going to start reading in verse 8. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Philippians, it's one of my favorite books in the Bible because it's such a positive and encouraging letter. If you compare it to some of the others, especially like Corinthians, Paul is addressing so much stuff going on in the Corinthian church. It's just, he's addressing so many issues and it's just kind of a drag, it seems like at times. But Philippians, on the other hand, it's an encouraging letter. Like Paul is praising the Philippian church and, and one of the key themes in Philippians is the theme of joy. It's mentioned, joy is mentioned in one way or another 19 different times in four short chapters. And interestingly enough, another key emphasis in Philippians is the mind. Paul is, is constantly mentioning remembering and thinking, things that have to do with the mind. One of my favorite um, commentators, Pastor Warren Wearsby, summarizes the theme of Philippians as this. Get this. The Christ-like mind that brings Christian joy. The theme of Philippians is the Christ-like mind that brings Christian joy. So with that in mind, we find ourselves here in in Philippians 4 verse 8. Paul is kind of summing up all of of his, uh, his letter and he says this. Finally, brethren... Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's any praise, think on these things. And the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul, he's literally literally telling us how we're supposed to be thinking. But What are things that are true or just or noble? Like, what are some examples of things that we could be thinking of? What about the truth of God's scripture? What what he has said? The fact that he loves you? The fact that in Christ you're forgiven? That in Christ you're victorious? That you have intrinsic worth and purpose because you were created in the image of God? Now, if if we're going to be filling our mind with those things, that means we're going to have to take some practical steps. Maybe a 
practical step of waking up in the morning and spending time in our Bible versus the first half hour or hour scrolling through social media. It can be a very practical step. So the, the truth of God's scripture, what about filling our mind with the promises of God? That all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. What about the promise that his grace is sufficient? That his mercies are new every morning? Maybe we need to be reminding ourselves and thinking about the testimonies of God in our life. The time where God first saved you, pulled you from where you were, wherever it was, and you entered into a relationship with Almighty God. Maybe it was a time he healed you of something. Maybe it was a, a prayer that he answered. Maybe th there was just a moment where the Holy Spirit just spoke to you in such a clear way, reminding yourself about the testimonies of God. Or maybe it's just being thankful for the good things in life and the beautiful things in life. Thankful for, for the trees around us, for the, for the rain, for the sky, for, for the food that we can eat, for the roof that's over our head, for our friends, for our family. But Paul, he just kind of easily sums everything up and, and says basically this, that if it's worthy of praise, think on it. If it's worthy of praise, think on it. But then we're not just encouraged to think about it, but then to put them into practice as well. And this is what he says. He says, the God of peace will be with you. In other words, when we're filling our mind with these good things and we're putting them into practice, there's such a joy and a peace and a contentment that comes in life. Doesn't that sound incredible? I mean, think of what are people looking for these days? So many people are joyless, so many people just aren't content in life, always think that the next thing's gonna make them happy. So many people lack peace in their life. Paul is saying, if it's praiseworthy, think on it. Now I want you to take this ideal thought life that Paul lays out for us and contrast it for a moment with how we naturally tend to think, okay? Because how many of you know that it's so much easier to be negative or to think negative? It's so much easier to think of that person that annoyed us. So much easier to think about the gossip that we heard. So much easier to think of the vulgar, what should be or what could be. So much easier to think of the grass being greener on the other side of the fence. And the thing is that the things that we let consume our mind will eventually manifest itself in our speech and in our actions. The things that we allow to consume our mind will eventually manifest themselves in our speech and actions, which makes it not only easier to think negative, but to also be negative. How many of you know someone who always has a reason to complain? Like you know that person, they're just always complaining about stuff. If that person's sitting next to you right now, lean over and whisper, pay attention. <laughs> no, don't really do that. But we all know someone like that, right? They hate their workplace. Their boss is an idiot. The summer's too hot. The winter's too cold. Spring is filled with allergies. Fall's not long enough. Their first church had terrible worship. Their second church, the preaching wasn't dynamic enough. Their third church, people were just really weird. Like the list can go on and on and, and we can always find a reason to complain. It's like the man who got shipwrecked on an island 
And for the next 10 years, he was on this island by himself. And finally, after 10 years, this vessel goes by and he frantically is waving this vessel down, trying to get their attention. And they actually see him and and they come to the island and they come to rescue him. And, And he's so thankful that finally someone has come to rescue him. And he says, before you guys rescue me, can I just show you what I've built here on this island? This has been my home for the past 10 years. I wanna just show you what I've built. So they said, okay. So he takes them on this journey along the island. He's showing them everything that, that he's built and, and the home that he's made the, for the past 10 years. And they get to this point where there's three structures on a hill. And he says to them, let me show you these structures. And they get to the first one and the men ask him, they said, what is this structure? And he said, oh, this is my house. And he takes them inside and he's showing them his, his dining room table that he had built, how he had got running water from a natural spring, all sorts of, of cool things. And, and the men were so impressed with what he had built. And then they leave that and they get to the second structure. And they said, well, what's this? And he said, this is my church. So let me show you. And he takes them inside and he's showing them the altar and, and the pulpit. And they're so impressed with what this man has built. And they get to the third structure. And they said, what's this? And all of a sudden, the man got quiet. And he said, I don't want to talk about it. And he bowed his head and just kind of stared in, 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 in the distance. And they said, why? What happened here? And he said, this is where I used to go to church. <laughs> now, there's like waves of people act of getting it. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that church hurt isn't a real thing. Because I realize that it is. But... What I'm saying is that so many times our hearts and our minds just pursue a reason to be negative. We pursue a reason to complain. We, we, we always try to find a fault with something. I want to say this, that if everyone and everything else in your world is the problem, then most likely you're the problem. Get that. If everything in your world and everyone in your world is a problem, most likely you're the problem. It's like the man who, who left home to drive to work and on his way to work, his wife, he gets this frantic call from his wife and his wife says, honey, please be careful. I just saw on the news that some idiot's driving on the wrong side of the interstate. And he said, honey, it's not just one idiot. There's hundreds of them. <laughs> right? There, there's, there's always a problem with something else. My grandpa, whenever, growing up, whenever I would complain about something or one of my siblings would complain about something, he would always start going like this. Anybody know what that means? I'd say, hey, grandpa, what's that? And he'd say, it's the world's smallest violin playing Why Me just for you. <laughs> but here's the thing, is, is this kind of mentality, this kind of thinking, it's draining. It's draining not only on you, but on the people that, around you. There's, there's just no joy in your life. And the thing is that we probably do it more than we think. I remember about six to eight months ago, um, I I was going to do a lesson with the youth um, at the Summit campus, and I was going to talk about complaining. So I thought, in preparation for the lesson, I'll just kind of pick a day, and, and I'll keep track of every time I complain about something. Now, it could be about anything. It was, it's too hot outside, the food at the cafeteria wasn't very good, Um, I'm just too tired today. It could be a complaint about anything small or big. And I was going to keep track of it. I quit halfway through the day. Because I started to realize, okay, I complain about a lot more than I actually thought I did. You know, and, and going back to like the science of it, the more that we do it, 
the easier it is to go there. And, and then it gets to a place where we're not even thinking about it and we're just being negative. We're talking negative. We're putting other people down. I challenge you to, to pick a day sometime this next week and just try to keep track of how many times you complain about something or you say something negative to someone or you give a, a dirty look to somebody. <laughs> Whatever the case is, try to keep track of it. So Paul, he, he's saying to think on things that are worthy of praise. And then he says this. Another point I want to highlight. He said to think on things that are of good report. Whenever I read that, my mind instantly went to a portion of scripture where there was a bad report. Some of you probably know where I'm going here. But in the book of Numbers, if you'll turn with me there, Numbers chapter 13, I want to show you what a bad report does. Not, not just thinking, but speaking a bad report does. Numbers chapter 13. Now up until this point, Moses, he's just led the children of Israel um, out of Egypt. He's delivered them out of Egypt and they're getting ready to inherit this promised land. And this is, this is uh, something that God had promised, that you are gonna have victory over your enemies and you're gonna inherit the promised land, okay? That's where we find ourselves here. And so what Moses does, what, what, what God tells Moses to do is to send out spies. And so that's what we see in chapter 13, verses one and two. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. And so Moses sends out these men, and they spy out this, this promised land for, for 40 days. And then finally they come back, and they relay to the people what they saw. In verse, picking up in verse 25, this is what they say. And they came to Moses and Aaron, and to all the congregation of the people of Israel, in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Wow, sounds good so far. It is a pretty good report. Unfortunately, we get to verse 28, and it says, However, the people who dwell, dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. In other words, the giants. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. And they're just naming all of their enemies that they're going to have to fight to, go, to enter into this land. Skip down to verse 31, and this is what they concluded. We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out saying the land through which we have gone to spy it out is the land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. So they give this bad report and the Bible goes on to say that the people begin to cry out and to complain. Now this is crazy because they say, it, it, why did you bring us into the wilderness to die here? It would have been better if we stayed in Egypt. And it says that they start to conspire to find a leader to take them back to Egypt. Now, this is crazy to me. Like, to put a little context around this, think of what God had just done for the children of Israel. They had just been in bondage to the most powerful nation in the world 
the, the, the nation of Egypt for over 400 years. Slaves for over 400 years. And in a moment, God brings a deliverer, a man named Moses, who takes them out of this land of Egypt, delivers them out, does all these crazy plagues, 10 plagues that just completely humiliate the gods of Egypt, that humiliate the Pharaoh. And then he leads them through this Red Sea, parts the waters, they, they cross over on, on dry land, they have a, a, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, they go through this, this Red Sea, and as the Egyptians pursue them, God brings the waters down and completely swallows up their enemies. This is the testimony that they had just seen. But because of a bad report, they're now talking about wanting to go back to Egypt. That just blows my mind. After all that God had done. But there was a man named Joshua. Who believed in the promises of God. And he said this. In 14. Numbers 14, 7 through 10. He said, listen, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So he's, he's talking about the good things. He's, he's talking about the promises of God. But it says that the congregation wanted to stone him with stones. <laughs> the congregation wanted to stone him with stones. In other words, because of a bad report, an entire generation died in the wilderness. For the next 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness and an entire generation died off because of a bad report of a few men. And here's what I want to challenge you with. What is your report? Is your thinking and is your attitude keeping you in the wilderness? Is, is your thinking and your attitude keeping your family members in the wilderness? Keeping your coworkers in the wilderness? Keeping your friends in the wilderness? Now I'm not saying that, that we always have to put on a smile and pretend like everything's okay. And, and that we have to fake it through life. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is be honest and open, but always in the spirit of love. Some things need to be confronted, so confront them, but don't criticize. You ever say, I'm not pessimistic, I'm just realistic? So be realistic, but don't be a discourager. Address things that need improvement, but also praise things that have been improved. Speak out against wrongdoing, but don't end on a hate note, end on a hope note. Give your opinion. By all means, give your opinion, because everybody loves to give their opinion, right? But don't put someone else down in the process. What if we were to elevate our thinking? Can you, can you imagine how attractive we would be to the people in this world if we were to elevate our thinking? I mean, how many of you want to be a Joshua in your generation? You want to, you want to be not only a thinker, but a, a speaker of a good report. You want people to know that as a Christian, I have more things to be thankful for than I'll ever have to complain about. 
I want to speak the, the message of truth and, and hope and grace and love to a world that is so anxious and depressed out of their mind. I want to offer the light at the end of someone's long and dark tunnel. I want to live in, in the freedom of forgiveness and not in the shackles of shame and resentment. I want to live in the promised land, not in the wilderness. And that's our inheritance as Christians. We can inherit the promised land. We don't have to fall prey to, to this negativity and, and these things around us. We can be Joshua's in this generation, speaking a good report in the land. Amen. Amen. But I love, I love this. If you'll turn back with me to Philippians 4, I love it that the Apostle Paul, he takes it a step further. He takes it a step further. Because many times, the battles that we face in our mind, they're not just battles against general negativity, but it's a battle that's derived from a circumstance. And maybe it was a circumstance that was out of your control. Maybe a, a disaster happened. Maybe something was, was done to you that was traumatic. Circumstances that were out of, out of control now produce such a, a battle in our mind. But I want you to listen to what Paul says in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And this is, this is the capstone of elevated thinking. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's interesting that this, this word that the Apostle Paul uses, content, this word content, it literally means self-sufficient. And it, it was a Stoic word. So the, the Stoics believed that we could be self-sufficient through a, a mechanical self-discipline and, and through a fixed resolution. In other words, that they believed that they, were in, they could operate independent of others, that you are all you need, the power is within your, your own will to resist the shocks of life's circumstances. This is the word that Paul uses. It was a Stoic word meaning self-sufficiency. But here's what he did. He took this stoic word about self-sufficiency and he wrapped it up in the quote that I can do all things through Christ. And so what he's saying is, in other words, you don't find joy and peace and contentment in a self-sufficiency, but in a Christ-sufficiency. Get that? We don't find our joy in life in a self-sufficiency, but a Christ-sufficiency. Amen? Amen? And here's where I want to challenge us this morning. Let's elevate our thinking. Have you been losing the battles of the mind recently or lately? What do you need to start filling your mind with? Where has the enemy come in and, and just completely robbed you of your joy in life? Robbed you of your peace? Robbed you of, of contentment because he's convinced you that sufficiency is found in someplace else? What are the truths that the enemy has replaced with lies? What are the good reports that he's turned into bad reports? What are the pure thoughts that he has turned into vanity? What are the shouts of praise that he's silenced and, he's, and, and have given way to complaints? So if you'll stand with me this afternoon, here's what I want to do. I, I want us all to turn our hearts and our minds to God this afternoon. 
The altars are open if, if you've just been really struggling in, in the mind, and it can be for whatever reason. Maybe I didn't touch on your specific situation this afternoon. But if you can just say, man, I've been struggling so much in my mind. I've been battling so much. Maybe you recognize that you, that you have negative tendencies. Maybe you, you recognize that you have thought patterns that you just can't seem to break free from. Let's submit our hearts and our minds to Christ this morning. Yield our mind battles to him, recognizing and realizing that our sufficiency is found in Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that Christ is sufficient for us. God, the one thing that won't change in our life, the one thing that's foundational is the one th place where we find sufficiency. Lord, and I lift up everybody in this room. Lord, you, you created the mind. You know the battles of the mind. You know the, the, the individual battles that, that everyone is facing here this morning. God, and I'm praying that, that you bring peace in the midst of, of a warring mind. God, I pray that you would bring joy in the midst of, of just a, a resentment or an anger. God, I pray that you would bring contentment where there's just desire for something else. God, I pray that as, as Paul said, that we would fill our things, fill our mind with, with good things, things that are worthy of praise. <laughs> praise God. If you're here this afternoon and you just don't know where to start with this, just start with the words thank you. Just find reasons to be thankful. And I especially want to say, maybe you're here this, this afternoon and you've never given your heart to Christ. You don't know what it means to be a Christian. Well, I got good news for you because the Bible says that when you give your life to Christ, he transforms you by the renewing of your mind. So maybe you've come in and you're just, you recognize the darkness in the mind. You recognize how far gone you seem to, to be. Listen, God can renew that mind this afternoon. Just call out to him. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness in our lives. God, and this, this is one of those uh, messages that it's easier to talk about than it is to do. God, but I pray that as we strive every day to fill our mind with, with your scripture, with your promises, with, with good things, God, that we can say, like Paul said, that, that whether we find ourselves in need or, or full, God, we've, we can be content in everything because we can do all things through him who strengthens us. God, we thank you and we bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys.